part of that introduction um, that he didn't mention, um, I'll just go ahead and confess. I'm a huge nerd. Um, I love lots of different stories, and I know that Justin shares in my nerddom for a lot of different things. Uh, We bonded on a lot of that while we were uh, in class and in church together. And um, I love lots of different stories. I love Star Wars. I love um, Lord of the Rings. And um, I love it so much that I've done a lot of different research on it. And one of the, the things that is, is interesting that it caught me kind of off guard, but it made more sense as I, as I studied it and remembered um, some different things that uh, I took in, in college for, for literature. Um, there's two different people uh, or different, um, I guess, not characters. I'm trying to find the right word. I can't figure out. Um, in, in literature, one is a, a main character, and the other one is a protagonist. And sometimes they're the same person, sometimes they're not. Um, the, the difference between a protagonist and a main character, protagonist is the individual who pursues the story goal, and the main character is the one whom we experience the story. So I don't know if you've seen the movies Lord of the Rings or if you've read the books, but for the longest time I thought that um, Frodo or Gandalf were the main characters. But they're not. They're protagonists. The main character is actually Samwise Gamgee because we end the story with him. He's the one that makes the choices in the, the spider's lair to pursue the quest to see it to the end. We see him on the mountain of doom literally pick up Frodo to carry him toward the mountain to pursue the quest. Um, so today in our text, um, there's two different um, individuals that we're, we're going to be looking at. The first one is Moses. Moses is the, the protagonist. He's the one that drives the story along. The second one is God. He's the main character. He's the main character in the entire Bible, not just in Deuteronomy, not just in the first five books, but in the entire Bible. So um, before we get into that, um, I'm going to pray, ask the Lord for help, and then we'll get into it. Father, I ask in this time that you would glorify yourself in the preaching of your word, um, that your people, myself, would be blessed, that we would worship you more after we leave this place, that we would humble ourselves to be submissive to your word and your truth. God, I ask that you would help me to do this with clarity, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So before we read um, in chapter 34 about the death of Moses, we need to back up a little bit. essentially all the way to the beginning, um, (laughs) to Moses' life. And we don't have enough time to get into all the specifics about the main character, or not the main character, the protagonist of the Pentateuch, but we're going to just kind of give a brief overview of Moses' life. Um, 
So we start back in, in the book of Exodus. Um, Moses, uh, a Levite, flees from Egypt after he murders an Egyptian. And there, once he flees, he goes to the land of Midian. In Midian, he marries a woman named Zipporah, who's Jethro's daughter. And Jethro was the priest at Midian. Moses one day was keeping the flocks of his father-in-law when he was called by God to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. So Moses, after much pleading with God, we know this story, I, I, I hope that you know this story, much pleading with God for him to pick someone else, he, hesit- he hesitantly ref- agrees to be used by God to lead the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the promised land. Um, God even says to them in Exodus, I am the Lord. This is God speaking to Moses to address the people. He says, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. So Moses goes, he begins to talk to the people, and he gets an address uh, with with Pharaoh. Pharaoh wouldn't listen to Moses, so God brought down increasingly more devastating plagues into that land um, to show and demonstrate his power over Pharaoh. Eventually, Pharaoh relents, lets all the Israelites leave and go to the promised land. Um, But unfortunately, when they leave, things were not as simple as just picking up from the land of Egypt and then immediately going into the land of promise. God leads the pillars God leads the people with pillars of clouds and fire so that they would not encounter the, the bands of the Philistines that were around them. He parted the Red Sea. He provided for the people both water and bread. All the while, they were grumbling with Moses. God defeated kings and nations before them. He gave Moses the Ten Commandments so that the people would understand how to live in right relationship with God. But the people rebelled. Moses interceded for them, And they were not destroyed by God's wrath. But they, that first generation, were not allowed to enter into the promised land. The book of Exodus concludes with Moses and the people of Israel constructing the tabernacle. We fast forward and go to Leviticus. Leviticus sees God speaking through Moses, commanding the people how to worship and live correctly before a holy God. Numbers records Israel's rebellion and refusal to enter the promised land. In that book, God, speaking through Moses again, talking about those people, says, How long shall this wicked uh, congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land that I swore that I would make you dwell. So we have all that. We finally get to the outskirts of the promised land when we come to Deuteronomy. So Moses is on the plains of Moab addressing the second generation of the Israelites. The first generation died in the wilderness. God brought them out of that into this. 
So the book of Deuteronomy can be categorized as different sermons that Moses presented to the people. Um, In the first one, we get the historical prologue that sets up the giving of the law. And then at the end of the law, Moses blesses the people and gives them instructions for living in the land. So out of all this, out of the entire life of Moses, how do we see the grace of God in Moses' life? That's the first point from this text today. Look at me in chapter 34 of Deuteronomy, verses 1 through 4. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea of the Negev, and the plain that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you shall not go over there. So at first glance, this looks like pretty bad situation. Moses finishes the mission. He gets the people to the land, but he's not allowed to enter into it. Why is that the case? So Moses says in chapter 7, excuse me, um, speaking about that it was the grace of God that brought them and that generation and Moses there. He says, for you, speaking to the congregation, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other peoples of the Lord set his love and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So God's grace is seen in the saving of the Israelites and bringing them to the, to the land freely without merit or action based upon them. We see this in our own lives. When God saves us, he doesn't do it because we have been approved by God. He doesn't say, you have done enough righteousness, now I'm going to supply my righteousness and save you. No, we know that for God's grace is demonstrated to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's not anything that we have in our power, our possession that makes us acceptable to God. It's God's free choice and his grace that he gives in order to save us. We see this in the Israelites. They rebelled. They murmured. They were terrible. They made an idol of a golden calf shortly after leaving the land. And Moses comes down from the mountain and is so angry, he throws the, the tablets of stone that, he, that God had just made because these people rebelled. They saw with their own eyes the great acts that the Lord did, bringing them out of the land. And they thought, this bull did it. They were so used to idolatry and slavery to that that they went back to it immediately after they left. We're not good. We're not righteous. 
But God in his grace and his mercy still chooses us, still elects us, and redeems us. Not because we did anything right, but because he freely chooses to set his love upon us. So God chose Moses after he committed murder, after he fled for his crimes, and was too afraid to speak to his brethren because they would, he, fear, he feared that they wouldn't listen to him. He thought, oh, I'm, I'm an Israelite. I, I did these things in the past. I can't talk to them. But God chooses and gives grace to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob because he is a gracious God. It is in his character. We even see in Exodus 34, when the covenant is renewed, God says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So this means for us that there is hope. God's plan will not be thwarted by sin. Even the most terrible act in human history, Jesus' death on the cross, was planned by God. It could, have been, it could have surprised God if we look at it only from human perspective, but it did not. God chose that. He chose to elect us and redeem us so that if you are in here today and you are beset by sin, know that God freely accepts you and loves you. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sin so that you would not face that punishment and that wrath. God chooses this way so that there's no man who can come before him and say, I, I did it. I'm righteous. No, it's God's grace that saves us. It's God's grace that saved the Israelites. It's God's grace that saved Moses and brought him before the land. No one is without hope. No one. That doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for sin. Uh, for Moses, we see the, the sin. Uh, if you look back at Deuteronomy um, and even in um, Numbers, it talks about the reason why Moses was not allowed to enter into the land is because he was instructed to call out water from the rock to give to the Israelites. But in his anger, possibly because of all the grumbling, he chose to strike the rock instead of call out. Um, and this can be seen as a minor sin. We think, oh, God, why, did, why is Moses not allowed to enter the land because of this one small sin? Well, one small sin is not a small sin to God. He views all sin as a transgression of his covenant that he has made with us. We see the seriousness and the consequences of sin. So, um, it was God's grace uh, to a generation, a couple generations before, that Jacob um, was given the blessings and not Esau. It was God's grace that he's given us his son to die for our sins that while we were yet sinners. So we see that the, li the life of Moses in the past has demonstrated God's grace. What about his death? I just was talking about that briefly. Um, but is it a cruel and mean God who brings Moses up 
but only shows him the land of setting instead of letting him enter it. Um, and there's typically two kind of schools of thought on this. One says that, yes, this is a tragedy. This is terrible. And Moses is not allowed to get to the end of where his life has been going this entire time. Um, but the other one um, says that, uh, you know, Moses was able to see the land. And we're, we're here in the middle of the mountains of Virginia, and it's beautiful. I love it. I love the, the leaves and the, the colors and everything. We were sitting on the, the living room this morning at, at Herschel's place and um, just looking out, seeing the deer and the leaves and everything, and um, it's just it's amazing. You guys live in a truly blessed place. Um, so Moses gets to see the land. He walks up on top of the mountain and gets to see this massive expanse before him. Um, Raymond Brown, in his commentary on Deuteronomy, says there is an important aspect of Hebrew law regarding land rights we can't overlook. Why does God go over and over and say, you will see the land but not enter it? God wasn't restricting him to a quick peek at the presence before Christmas. In later Jewish times, the practice of viewing land observing all that your eyes could behold, is the formal legal transfer of that land to the purchaser. We see this in the New Testament when Jesus is describing a parable and a man must first go and inspect the field that he has just purchased. And I don't know if you guys know about this internet service, Craigslist, if you've ever heard of it before. Um, I've been contacted there uh, trying to, to sell and buy things about you should purchase this $400 amp without seeing it first. If anyone do, does that, then they're just they're dumb. <laughs> that doesn't make sense to do. So why would, would God give Moses the land without first letting him see it? In this similar way, Moses had the unique privilege of legally acquiring the promised land from God on behalf of the nation of Israel. God provides grace when the consequences of sin come upon us. And God's always gracious. Nowhere in any dealings with Israel is it suggested that God is nothing more than gracious because it is a part of his character. Moses reminds the people, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. So when you look at your life, do you see and recognize the grace of God that's around you? As Moses climbed the mountain, he possibly could have been distracted with a stubbed toe as he was going to see his inheritance. You know, think back to the introduction. If you've seen Lord of the Rings, uh, Samwise could have said, Dadgummit, Frodo, you fell down. You can't get up. I have to carry you now. What is your problem? And grumbled all the way to the top of Mount Doom, but he didn't. He knew the goal in which he was going. He said, this is a little bit harder, but I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to pick Frodo up and take us to the top so that we can destroy this evil once and for all. Or are you so distracted with the things in your life that you miss the grace of God in it? The people grumbled. 
they saw all the circumstances in their life and they thought, surely God has abandoned us. Circumstances don't mean that God is absent in them. I heard a quote here recently um, by one of my favorite authors, John Piper. He said that God is doing 10,000 things in your life and you may recognize three of them. Um, He's guiding and directing us and giving us grace throughout all of our lives. And we may not know. Or we may be so blinded by the things that we see around us, the, the pressures, the sin, the circumstances. Are you in that place? If you are, cast your eyes to your future inheritance, to Christ. Let go of the things that are making you stumble and hold firm to the promise that he who did not spare his own son, will he not also give us all things? He loves us. He gave us Christ. He gave us eternal life. And yes, things in life are hard. I don't know what you guys are going through right now. There could be 10,000 different things that are on your your heart and mind. One of them is the pipeline. That's not good (laughs) that they want to put that in. Um, But God is still good. He's still gracious in the midst of all those things. So that's our first point. Our second point, we see the grace of God, or we see God's sovereignty um, over Moses' death. Um, Look at me with verses 5 through 8. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses had ended. So I, I want you guys to notice two key pieces of information in this short little this text, this text unit. First is he died according to the word of the Lord. So we see that God ordained this. He said, this is the way in which you are going to die. Um, It was the will of the Lord that Moses should die outside of the land. God in his freedom and his goodness chose to end Moses' life in the land of Moab. If anyone should be allowed to go into the land, surely it's Moses who has led and guided and interceded for these people since their slavery in Egypt. We even look at his birth that the circumstances were guided by the Lord. He should not have survived because Pharaoh wanted all the male children to be killed. Surely, if we only look at Moses' death with human eyes, with human perspective, we see the cruelest of ends to the great Israelite leader. He dies alone, away from his people, outside, and on the verge of the place he dedicated his life to go to. One act of disobedience in over 40-plus years of God being his of him being God's servant results in him being excluded from physically entering the land. And furthermore, from a physical standpoint, Moses is not too tired or worn out. This is the second thing that I want you to see. Look in um, verse 7. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. The Hebrew word here for dim is the same one that God used in Genesis. When Isaac was old, and he could not see well enough to tell the difference between his sons. So when I think of this, I imagine 
um, in my house in, in Wake Forest, um, North Carolina, uh, when I have to go to work, um, especially now that the temperature has, has changed out, uh, my windshield is glazed over in the morning with dew. And typically I'm running close to late when I leave because um, I'm a little bit of a slacker when it comes to getting up in the morning. Um, but I, I turn on my car, I start up my my heater, defogger, whatever it is. I don't know the correct term for it. I'm not a car guy. Um, <laughs> and I, I begin to drive on the road, and it's foggy. And the way our house is set up to get to the next road that I need to go on to get to work, um, I drive directly into the sun. And it's right up over the hill, so I see sun and dew and fog and it's terrible and I'm terrified and I'm afraid I'm going to hit somebody and there have been times where it's been so just intrepidatious for me that I've actually stopped the car on the road and try to pull over a little bit and turn my hazards on just so people won't hit me because I can't see so when I think of this that's what I, I picture is that your eye is, is so dim that it's, it's blind all you see is just kind of amoebas form. But Moses, his eyes not dim. His vigor is unabated. He's 120 years old and he climbed a mountain. That's pretty good. <laughs> he, I think he probably did CrossFit if that was around back then. So, um, But Moses couldn't go into the land because God wouldn't let him go. He pleaded with God. Even back in Deuteronomy 3, he says... Uh, that he longed to see the land, but God wouldn't let him do it. He pleaded over and over again, but God wouldn't. Um, this is not a concept that's found only in the Old Testament. Um, in Acts, Paul, in his different missionary journeys, desires to travel into Asia, but God won't allow it. This is in Acts. Um, and they went through the region of Phrygia in Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So God's goodness does not diminish by his choice to tell us no. Moses still trusted the Lord and served him, despite God not granting his request. God answered his prayer with a simple no. And isn't it the same with us? Moses pleaded with the Lord for him to grant that he should enter the land, but God did not relent. Does God grant our every request? He definitely does not. <laughs> the candy that I prayed for whenever I was five did not come. No matter how much I pleaded with my father to let me have it, he would not let me have it. I think of the different relationships that I've had, the different circumstances in my life, and when you're in the middle of it, it's, it's hard to be told no. But looking back on it, I see the, the hand of God upon my life to say, no, you didn't go to that college, even though that you wanted to go there. No, you didn't have that relationship because it wasn't what you needed at the time. And us in our perspective, I know for me, I get just too bogged down in wanting everything that God wants, or wanting what I want instead of what what God wants at the time. Um, but Moses, and I think we can take a great page 
or a great lesson from from Moses in this in that even though he was pleading with God for him to let him enter the land Moses just accepted it and said no this is not what but this is what God wants this is what the Lord has prescribed for me and that I should not enter into the land so God places things in our life that we may not understand we don't get we say why why me Lord what's going on but we need to to see that we need to trust him he does not put burdens upon us that we cannot bear Um, he does not trick us he does not lead us to a place where we are without his grace and his help just because situations and circumstances are hard doesn't mean that that God, A, has not put us there, or B, requires of us that we not be faithful. That's what we need. That's what Moses did. He was faithful to God's mission, to God's plan, until the very end, even though his situation was difficult. So we see these two acts these two points in Moses's life we see God's grace from the very beginning leading him and the people out of the land calling them even though that they were not righteous in themselves we see God's sovereignty in his hand over them in that um, he elected and chose that Moses should die outside of the land um, but Moses said okay this is what you want God this is what I'm going to do Finally, in verses 9 through 12, we see that his death demonstrates the faithfulness of God. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and all his servants and all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. The people weep and they mourn, but they move on. They go in to take possession of the land. Their great leader has passed away but they keep on going. Now they're not, they, they are known not as a people of Moses, but as a people of the Lord. God was faithful to bring them this far, and he is faithful in giving them a new leader to go and take the land as theirs. I think some of the things that we can see in this is that, number one, as we've said before, their righteousness is not the reason for God's faithfulness. They, time and time again in the past, and as we see throughout the Old Testament and into the New, God's people are, are very faithless. They blow it more times than they get it right. And I think we do too. But God is still gracious and still faithful and still takes us back every time because Christ has made an everlasting covenant with us in that while we still sin, He still forgives. And that's, that's awesome. That's such an awesome thought that the covenant does not hinge upon our performance, our righteousness, but God's and God's alone. 
I think also something that we can see is that God will never let a promise of his be ruined by human mistake. Romans 3.3 3, um, begins and says, What if some were unfaithful? This is Paul talking about the Jews. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. What does this mean? It means that for the Jews, for us, when we fail, we are not left completely alone and isolated in our failure and in our sin. God is gracious to us. He redeems us when we make the decision to click on that image again. God still forgives. When we go into that compromising relationship, when we curse a brother or sister in Christ, even after just telling them to their face that we love them, God still forgives us. He's faithful. He's faithful to his promise. He's faithful to his promise that if he loves you, he will carry you to the end. It's not anything that you can do, but it's only in God. Moses directly passes the leadership on to Joshua. The Israelites don't need Moses' staff anymore. They need Joseph's sword to go in to take possession of the promised land. So here, at the end of Moses' life, we close, and we know that what all of Moses said came to pass in the different parts of Deuteronomy. The Israelites rebelled and were driven out, but God was faithful to forgive them, just like Moses said. And God was faithful to give us a prophet like Moses and Jesus. And I think this is where I want to leave and just draw the, the correlations between Moses in the Old Testament and Jesus in the new. Moses leads the people out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. Jesus, in the new, sets people free from the slavery of sin by his death, burial, and resurrection. Moses gives the law. He gives not only the Ten Commandments, but also his different sermons throughout Deuteronomy, that is, the applications and interpretations of those laws. Jesus says the same in the New Testament. We see him um, giving the Sermon on the Mount, saying, you have heard that it was said in one way, but I tell you this. Moses performed signs and wonders. He had his staff. Jesus performed signs and wonders. He did miracles, turned water into wine, fed 5,000, 4,000, walked on water. We see these in the New Testament. Finally, the biggest correlation between the two, Moses interceded for the people. He was the one who, when they were rebelling, said, no, God, you cannot kill them. You said, you swore to these people that you would lead them out and lead them to the land. Will you not fulfill what you had promised? Jesus makes an everlasting covenant with us, interceding with his blood. We see that in the Old Testament, Moses did this for them. Jesus does this for us. And if you're here today in this place, um, just know if you've never been a Christian before, um, God's grace is free. 
All you have to do is repent and believe in him. If you are a Christian today and um, you're far from him, remember the same blood that was sufficient to save you at the beginning is the same blood that is sufficient to forgive you now. Um, We never get away from the gospel. We're more wretched than we could possibly imagine, but God is more gracious than we could possibly believe. So I'm going to close with prayer, um, and then we'll go from there. Father, we see that you are the main character in Moses' life. And I pray that for all of us here in this room, that you would be the main character in ours, that we would be on mission for you, not for our dreams and hopes and goals but for yours no matter what they are um, big or small because we know that a life lived for you and your glory is not wasted we know that Jesus loves us died for us and was raised again so that we would have eternal life and I ask God that you would take these words and plant them into our hearts that we would remember from Moses' life and his death that you are gracious, you are sovereign, you are faithful, and that we would worship you all of our days. I pray this in Jesus' name.